Thank you, Catherine. That is so good. It is so good to hear another story of how God is moving in our lives, in our world. You guys have probably heard us talk about this before, but one of our dreams here as a church is that we would be involved in uh, having an impact with the gospel, not just locally, but even overseas. And in light of what Catherine was sharing, we thought this is probably the perfect opportunity to give you guys an update, some of the things that we're involved in, some of the things we're doing as a church. Um, yesterday, I don't know how many of you guys were involved in our community engagement day. Uh, we're going out and we're serving in the city. Uh, thank you for doing that. We're going to continue to keep you up to date the next time we have a community engagement day. Uh, we're also hoping to build some bridges uh, with other spiritual communities here in Columbus so we can understand uh, the people in the city and around the campus. And one of the ways we're doing that, Catherine just mentioned, we do these people group engagement nights. And the next one is coming up here on Friday. Uh, if you want information about that, it'll be on the website. Actually, everything I mentioned will be on the website. So that's where I will direct you to. Um, you guys know as the years have gone on, we've developed more and more partnerships with organizations in Columbus, more and more partnerships with organizations overseas. In fact, if you give to H2O, uh, a portion of that money is going out to serve, serve the needy, serve the poor, uh, and some of the partnerships we have. We're trying to highlight that video at the beginning. If you were here and saw the video, uh, from, uh, that's from a group that runs the Hangout in Costa Rica, and they're engaging folks with the gospel, and they're loving people who have needs. Here at home, we've gotten a chance to partner with the organization. She has a name. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. They're ministering locally to survivors of sex trafficking. Uh, they actually are having a night of hope. It's a, a gala where they're telling, trying to inform folks about sex trafficking, raise some money. If you want any information about that, we'd like to encourage you to to be involved, get on the website. It's on November 8th. Um, and, and my goal here is not to just fire hose you with info. Uh, we're just excited about these partnerships and we want to keep talking about them because just like we're learning in the book of James, uh, we desire to be a, a church, a congregation that doesn't just hear uh, things from God's word, but we're actually putting what we hear into practice. Uh, I don't know how many of you were here last week, but Vivek shared this verse out of James and I I find it so convicting every time I, I hear it. James says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And, and we know we're just a small congregation in a very big world. But we also know our God is big, right? And when somebody genuinely encounters Jesus, they're changed, right? We, Catherine loved Justin Bieber, and now she is roaming at Columbus serving people who have needs, right? This is the sort of transformation <laughs> that happens. Focus on self, focus on others. This is what Jesus does. And so we want to take those, those passages seriously. We want to figure out how we can live them out. So we're just going to keep keeping you up to date on the things that, that you guys bring to us, the opportunities that we have in the city and the campus. Uh, go to the website. If anything we've talked about uh, piques your interest or curiosity or you want to take a step of faith on how to serve, uh, go over there and uh, see how you can get involved. And let's pray. Let's pray for our congregation that, that we can be more and more engaged in this sort of work. Lord, we thank you so much. I thank you for Catherine. I thank you for her story. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in more and more of our hearts transforming us, that we could be a church that goes to the lost, to the hurting, to the broken, to those in need, and serve them. And Lord, 
We just pray for this morning. We just pray that as we open up your word again this morning, we pray for courage to hear what you have to say to us and respond in faith, knowing that your desire for us is that we might be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you guys ready? We're back in the book of James. Kyler is ready. I have a feeling he would have yelled had I said anything at that point. Very excited. You guys know we've been going through the book of James, and there's this, this thread where God has been calling us out a little bit and teaching us and showing us what an authentic walk with Jesus looks like, what it looks like to have a real faith. And this week, uh, we are in chapter 3. If you have a Bible and you want to uh, open it up to chapter 3, that's fine. Uh, if not, we'll be putting it on the screen. But James, after talking about a different bunch of different topics, right, he's been talking about how we need to be hearers or doers of the word, not just hearers. He's been talking about how we should have no favoritism, how we should endure trials with joy, these, these high calls for us as followers of Jesus. Now he turns his attention to an area of life that was very, very important uh, to the Jewish Christians, and that area is speech. And before we jump into the text, I want to say this is an area that's near and dear to my heart because I think it has been an area of struggle for me for my entire life. This is not an exaggeration. I brought proof for you. A number of years ago, my mom went through her old stuff and she found my old report cards. And I brought a picture of one. This is okay. You can see the date. January of 1979, <laughs> I was in third grade. And my teacher was Dr. Martin, and he was this really large African-American man. He was very intimidating, um, and he wrote this on my card. John does very well, very good in his academic subjects. I just wish he wouldn't talk so much. <laughs> that is literally on almost every report card I got all through childhood. In fact, that year, you can take that off the screen. Everyone's trying to read the other comments. No, 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 take it off. <laughs> That year, Dr. Martin, he was so annoyed by my talking in class that he crumpled up a piece of paper and he put it in my mouth. And he said, don't take that out. Which I know for a fact he would not be allowed to do today. But that was the 70s. It was a different educational system. So three minutes later, he sees me talking again. And I'm talking to some kids in the class. And he's like, I thought I told you not to take that paper out. And I said, I didn't. I ate it. <laughs> and, and I was like a third grade legend for at, at least a week. At least a week. This was a problem. I had a problem. <laughs> but we know, we've been reading James, right? And we know that, that faith in Christ, he is able to turn, take weakness and turn it into strength, right? So this is what he does in this area. But I'm excited because this passage, uh, hopefully uh, you will catch how significant what James shares with us is in this area of speech. Let me start with verse 1. Chapter 3. James says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So, okay, that one's for me. And uh, <laughs> it's, it gets your attention, doesn't it? And at that time, uh, there were a lot of people that were aspiring to teach. They wanted to teach. They wanted to get up and, and share what they thought was true. And James is letting them know, hey, this is serious business. What you say is a serious business. And then he follows it up with this. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If 
We put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set, is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every beast, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Okay, so this is a little intense. He is getting our attention. And he's actually using illustrations that would have been very understandable to the reader in that time. He's using imagery, right? A bit in the mouth of a horse, a rudder on a ship, a small fire, and what it can do to a whole forest. All of these pictures, they point to the same idea. And it's simply this. The tongue is small. It can be seemingly inconsequential, but it is powerful. Our speech is a powerful force. The words that we say have power. You, you may have heard growing up, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Have you ever heard that phrase? That's kind of an old-fashioned phrase now. <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you that that is not in the Bible because it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Words are very powerful in our lives, aren't they? They have a profound effect. In fact, much of what James is getting at is, is talked about extensively in the Old Testament. It echoes the wisdom of the Old Testament. All throughout Proverbs, you'll hear uh, passages like this. This is from Proverbs 18. It says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I was talking to a friend of mine a few years ago, and he shared this story with me. He said this. He said, I was 15 and decided that I would try to take some initiative on a lazy Saturday. I took care of some long-needed yard work, spending the better part of an afternoon on it. My dad returned from work and went into the garage. I'd apparently put some yard equipment in the wrong place. He called me in there and asked in a frustrated way if I'd used the tools, told him what I did, and he proceeded to criticize my laziness and lack of attention to detail with putting the yard equipment back. I told him I was just trying to help by doing something nice that he didn't even ask me to do, but he kept going on about the tools. So I asked him, when is anything I'm going to do be good enough for you? And he replied, I've been asking myself that same question for 15 years. And then he went on to say, it's a phrase that sticks with me even now, and it's even a notion that affects the way I see God. I struggle with thinking in terms of spiritual growth that the slightest flaw or mistake completely undoes any progress, undoes any progress I've made or good that I've done. It's honestly crazy to think how deep this goes. He was starting to realize that words that had been said to him years before were affecting his life even today. I kind of felt bad for his dad. I don't know his dad. I don't understand the context at all, but I thought, I bet he had no idea, right? In a moment of anger or frustration that when we lash out with the words, we can carry those things around. And we have all experienced stuff like that, haven't we? 
There are messages that we have received, words that have been spoken to us that we are carrying around, maybe knowingly, maybe unknowingly, that people have spoken. No one likes you. You're annoying. You're fat. You're skinny. You're weak. You don't have what it takes. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're embarrassing. You're a disappointment to me. You're not wanted. You guys ever hear messages like that? Have messages like that ever been spoken to you? They can take root, can't they? There's another proverb. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Our speech is a powerful force, and in our culture, it's, it's more powerful than ever before, isn't it? We have the unprecedented ability to amplify our voice more than we ever have. <coughs> when I grew up, if I wanted to tell someone something, I had to go find them. I had to physically find them. Or I picked up this phone that was attached to my wall, <laughs> and I hoped they were near their wall, and they would, could pick theirs up. That's how it worked. And so if I had something to say, I had to go find them, and then I could say, hey, I have strong, unsubstantiated opinions. I'd like to share them with you, right? And I could share them with one person or a group. <coughs> now what can we do? We can get online and we can literally have our voice heard all across the world. <coughs> I have a question. Can somebody get me a glass of water? I am like, <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. <coughs> Thank you, Alexa. Wow, she's good. Okay. This is, this is the man who just finished the half marathon and is here for the service giving me his water. <laughs> Can I borrow that foil blanket? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Oh, now yours is replaced. Look at that. God is good. Oh, that was, that's so much better. Okay, what was I talking about? Speech. Um, the power we have is incredible, and we can send now our voice out in so many different ways. And there is some awesomeness to that, right? I mean, it is awesome. It is amazing that we can communicate with people all over the world. We can share ideas. We can speak, interact. But it is sobering, too, isn't it? It's sobering. And, and the question that James is challenging us with here is simply this. How seriously are you taking this area of your life? We don't know the context of what was happening in these churches with these individuals, but clearly something was going wrong. Their speech was not helpful. It was not glorifying God. And he is saying, guys, you've got to understand how big a deal this is. What you're talking about, how you're using your words. <coughs> Verse 9 says this, With it, being the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth, Come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. That's a great line. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. What is he saying here? He's saying simply this. You, you followers of Jesus, you are honoring God with your words. You honor and you bless him, and then you turn around and you curse. You speak ill of those who are made in the image of God. This is not the way it's supposed to be. James is making it really clear that our speech is not only powerful, our words, they matter. 
What we say matters. You know, there was a practice back then in James's day where a king or an emperor would set up a statue of himself in a city or in a place. And it was, it was believed that basically if you spoke ill of the statue or the image of the king or emperor, it was as if you were cursing them. Because that represented the emperor. It represented the king. This is the context for these comments. Isn't that interesting? And so here we are, honoring God and yet speaking ill of and cursing those who are made in his image. And that's the parallel that he's making. And I think about our world, I think about our culture, and our culture is pretty polarized right now. I don't know if you've noticed. Here in America, things are, are, the dialogue is a little divisive. And at the heart of so much of our conversation culturally is, is the value of people, right? And we believe in the value of people. We believe in the value of every person, regardless of their background or their sex or their race or their nationality, that they are made in the image of God. And that means something. And it not only means that they deserve respect or they deserve justice or they deserve to be treated equally. James is saying it's even more than that. They deserve to be spoken to respectfully. They deserve honorable words. I remember reading this and just thinking how much this could affect our whole cultural dialogue, cultural conversation, because it's filled with mean speech, isn't it, and harsh criticism. Our world is filled with gossip and slander and negativity and mockery. Sometimes that, that language is even celebrated, and James is saying unequivocally, that is not us. These are not supposed to be the way we conduct ourselves. When we talk to one another, this should not be us. When we talk to the world, this should not be us. Our words matter. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they have spoken. Think about that for a minute. That is sobering. Every careless word they have spoken. For someone like me, it's like, ooh. I, I think I apologize to my kids almost every day about something I've said that's dumb. Every careless word matters. Now listen, this, this passage, James has been ex kind of talking about and focused on the negative and the negative power of speech, but Scripture also talks about the reality that, that this power can be used for good, right? You've seen this in these Proverbs. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words can bring life. It's not just a matter of, okay, you should be quiet. Stop talking. But our words have the ability to bring life. And I, I bet you experienced that as well, right? When I shared kind of those destructive messages, some of them probably connected with you. Maybe you even have remembered events where people had spoken things to you. But the flip side is also true. All of us have been affected by people who have come alongside us and spoken words of life, right? About six months ago, I went, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and I went back to Pittsburgh, and I went back to my elementary school, and my wife and I were wandering around, and it seemed so long ago. And we found Dr. Martin's room, and it's now the yoga room, so it's not his room anymore. I don't know. They didn't have a yoga room when I was there. And, and the first thing I thought of when I was there was he had a parent-teacher conference with my mom, and I was worried. I'm like, oh, I don't think he likes me. And he, my mom came back and said, you know what Dr. Martin said? 
he said if he had a boy, he would like, he would love it if his boy was like you. Which was a little unexpected. Because <laughs> the main message I had gotten from him was shut up. Uh, <laughs> I'm 47. I was told that when I was seven. Forty years later, I'm standing at that room. It's the first thing I think of, and it, I'll just be honest, I got a little emotional about it. Think about how crazy that is. Think about the fact that you could leave this place and you could interact with another human being and say something to them so life-giving that 40 years from now they would remember it and it would still be affecting their life. Isn't that amazing? This isn't, oh, stop talking. It'd be best if you all just be quiet and then try to make it to heaven. You have this unbelievable gift, powerful gift, that we could be giving life to one another. This is a bit of a tangent, but I would like to just fire off a couple practicals on how we might do that. They're not really found in this passage, but they're found in Scripture as a whole. As someone who is sitting here thinking, okay, I, I know I'm tempted to use my words in, in a way to destroy. I want to use them in a way to bring life. I'll tell you simply this. The first thing we need to do is we need to speak thoughtfully. We need to stop just talking and we need to think about what we're saying and why we're saying it. Earlier in James, it said we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We want to be slow so that we'll think. I read this quote, this is from Kierkegaard, said people demand freedom of speech as a compensation for the freedom of thought which they seldom use. <laughs> I thought, ouch. Guilty as charged. Proverbs 10, this is the first verse anyone ever shared with me, okay? So this will give you some insight into my early days as a Christian. He said, hey John, here's Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Okay. <laughs> the question we shouldn't be asking is, can I say this? It's, should I say this? And then the second thing is, speak with a purpose. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I'm going to say something, and I want to be thinking about, how is this benefiting someone? Or encouraging someone? Is it, is it giving them things that are true? Is it loving them? What's the purpose here? We have this amazing opportunity, right? And I know this is true for everyone in this room. You will leave this place and there will be moments this week where you're heartbroken and you will see people that you care about and you love. Sometimes people you don't even know whose lives are broken and they're hurting and they're lost and they don't have hope, and they're dealing with sorrow, and they're struggling, and you will connect with that. And you have an opportunity to bring life to them. Some of you will have the opportunity to bring life in that you'll be able to talk about Jesus and introduce them to Jesus, which is awesome. Some of you will bring life just with one kind word. Just by in the midst of a sea of negativity, saying something positive or giving them hope or expressing some bit of love towards them. That's so powerful. 
Imagine that we would be a community that would leave this place and be asking God to show us those opportunities, that we might speak with a purpose. And the last thing is speak as Christ's representative. Paul also says this in his letters. He says, whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of Jesus Christ. Know that when you, when you leave here, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, that makes you his ambassador, his representative. That means you are speaking for him. It's like, ooh, that's intense. It is intense, isn't it? It's a little weighty to think that, but it's really good to think that. We're representing him. But guys, at, at its core, this is not a, a self-help message. This isn't a, this is how we can talk better. Look what James says here in verse 11. He says, does a spring pour forth from the, from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He, he's hitting at a, at a reality that we need to catch, which is simply this. Our words reflect our heart. Jesus says this in the Gospel of Luke. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's going on in here, that's what's going to come out. And he's saying, look, if you're a, a follower of Jesus, a Christian who is a new creation transformed by the Spirit of God, that should be demonstrated by how you speak. If that's what's going on in your heart, that's what you should be speaking about. Right? Because the answer to these questions is no. A spring does not pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water. A fig tree does not bear olives. Right? Guys, if you are a follower of Jesus, your speech will reflect that. That's what he's saying, which is a sobering thing to say, right? Kind of makes you step back and think, oh man, okay. What does that mean for me? But there's a question that emerges from that, a natural question, which is, what do your words demonstrate is going on in your heart? And I think that's a question for us to, to reflect on. What do your words demonstrate is going on in your heart? Because we have all sorts of bad habits, don't we? If I can speak for all of us, right? We use our speech for all sorts of different reasons. We want to brag, right? Sometimes we'll humble brag, or we'll do it subtly, but we're still bragging, or, or we gossip. And sometimes we'll, we'll make it sound spiritual by saying, hey, we need to pray for them. Let me tell you what's going on with them. And we'll, we'll gossip to one another or we'll mock. We'll make fun of one another under the guise of humor. I was just kidding. Or we'll criticize or we'll yell or we'll complain. That's for all of us who watched the game last night. <laughs> right? We'll use our words to tear down or we'll manipulate, deceive, and we exaggerate. Our culture is really good at exaggerating, right? We literally do it all the time, right? <laughs> Everything. Why is that happening? So I decided, I did this a couple weeks ago with, with uh, favoritism. When we talked about favoritism, I thought, you know what? I should, I should look at my own life. And I should ask God for insight. Last time I did this for a week, and it was a little overwhelming. So this time I just did it for a couple days. But I spent a couple days this week, and I did a little experiment. I paid attention to my speech, and I asked the question, why did I just say that? I just asked it in my head. Why did I just say that? Why did I just say that? 
And guys, it was so sobering. There were moments where I was saying things and I was thinking, I just want all the attention of people on me. I am saying this solely so you will pay attention to me. That story was great. Now, let me tell you my story. There were times that I was just trying to craft a reputation. I want everyone to think certain things about me. I want them to praise me. I want them to praise my wife and kids. I want to demonstrate my great knowledge and my wittiness and how relevant I am. I read this quote. This is from John Ortberg. I thought this was great. This summed up a lot of what I saw in my own heart. Human conversation is largely an endless attempt to convince others that we are more assertive or clever or generous or successful than they would otherwise think if we did not carefully educate them. I thought, wow, we do that all the time with our words, don't we? Often I would speak just to vent my feelings. And I would think things like, oh, I'm just being authentic, when really I just wanted to let loose my opinions. Often I would speak because I had unresolved conflict or there was idolatry in my life or fear or manipulation or a desire for power. And I thought, oh, this is, this is ugly. There is stuff in here. And I think for anyone in here, if we're honest, if we're really honest, and we really wrestle with that question, which I encourage you to do, we start to see that our speech shows a lot of hypocrisy. It shows a lot of inconsistency. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? And James is doing exactly what he's been doing throughout the whole book. The whole book we've seen so far. He sets this high bar. He challenges us with this picture of what the Christian life looks like. And it's not to shame us, but it's to point us back towards Jesus. It's to point us back towards the gospel. It is to cry out to God for help. We can't leave here with three bullet points. I'm going to be more thoughtful and purposeful. And we need a change of heart, right? We need God to transform our hearts, and we aren't able to do that on our own. So that means we hear this, we're challenged by it, and we run back to the Lord and say, we need a heart that's changed. And I want to tell you guys this morning, a heart that walks in grace, the grace of the gospel, that heart will be changed. And that'll transform our speech. It'll change the way we talk. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And we're going to take communion this morning. And you guys know this. We've talked about this. This is a practice started by Jesus. It started for his followers, anyone who's a follower of Christ. And we take the bread and we take the juice and it represents Jesus' body and his blood. And we do this to just stop and remember what he did for us on the cross. That while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And the reality is, if you place your faith in Christ, that's as true today as it's ever been. You are forgiven, you have been rescued, and at the same time, as we remember that, we're also declaring what is to come. And what is to come is that Jesus is coming back and he is going to take us home. And the reason these are so important for us to remember is that this is what transforms our heart. This is what gives us hope. This is what gives us joy. This is what is what renews our heart, and from that heart, from that heart, God-honoring speech will come. Thankful speech will come. Generous speech will come. Gracious 
speech, thoughtful speech, purposeful speech. When we're so gripped by the fact that, that God has saved us because of his great mercy, our hearts are transformed and our words follow suit. So let's praise the Lord this morning. And when you're ready, come down, take the bread, dip it in the juice. I think we have gluten-free over there to the left. And let's remember how much we love the Lord so that our words will be affected and our lives will be changed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. I thank you for this book. I thank you for the book of James. I thank you for the, the challenges that are found in there that are, are so sobering. We as a community, we thank you that, that you do not pull punches with us. You do not restrain from telling us the truth. And Lord, as we're, we're convicted and we're challenged about this area of our lives, the area of speech, we thank you so much that your mercy is right there with us. And we as a community, we want to be drawn back into the truth of the gospel. This is another reason we are so grateful for the fact that you've rescued us and you've saved us. When we could do nothing to save ourselves, Lord, we thank you this morning. And we pray that as we remember and as our hearts are renewed by you, that you would change the way we speak. Lord, I pray for each and every person here. I pray that this would be a week where our eyes would be open and our ears would be open to what you have for us in this area. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the privilege of speaking life. That there might be people in this world 40 years from now who might remember the words we spoke this week and be encouraged and blessed by them. We know only you can do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.